I love ketchup. I like yellow. Fucking cheap ass El Camino mustard. <laughs> that's the that's the only one that I don't like. I like all the other mustards except for that cheap ass mustard. I don't oh, know what man. it is. It, the I yellow it's mustard. The, that's where it's at. Yeah, it's the smell. I think that's just ugh. That's where it's at. Oofta. Sometimes I'll try and capture the smell of mustard. How, how does one do that? <laughs> you can't, but I try. And here we go. Um, It was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular. Yep. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. California, no time to party. Man, I I suck at singing. (laughs) You do, and you do it all the time. I don't suck at singing. I'm just, I just do it. I do it bad. I do it bad on purpose. I'm just like, rock me, rock me, rock me, sexy Jesus. Hey, that's pretty relevant to now. That's pretty topical to this film we're doing. But (laughs) Uh, hey, man, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. You busy in everything with work and life? Dude, I am like super mega busy. It's uh, like a Star Wars week for us right now. And I'm just doing live streams and podcasts and writing blogs and there's just a lot going on man a lot going on busy 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 you're a wanted man yeah wanted it's be- like bon jovi there it's better than uh it's better than having nothing to do so that's true no you know. i can't complain I- i'm keeping busy sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day though have you been watching anything crazy with all your busyness um yeah over the weekend i watched a couple things i watched uh, the battle of los angeles with Aaron Eckhart. And Ooh, Har- Harvey Dent. And the lady, Michelle Rodriguez. She's in it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Watching a thing with the lady. Does she play a tough soldier or like tough person? She, she I feel like that's always her role is just a, a tough gal. Yeah, she's a badass. She's, she's a badass. F, but... F some shit up. You know what's funny is she's in a lot of movies that I really enjoy. <laughs> like uh, Avatar, Fast and Furious. Um, Battle of Los Angeles. Avatar's garbage. Um, Fast and Furious. I love Fast and Furious. Okay. okay. You have no credibility whatsoever. I entertain you with this podcast, but your taste in, in motion picture shows is literally the worst. I'm so the most okay. cre- credible person there is. So I don't think yeah. that is accurate. Uh, then I also watched Hamlet 2. After talking and laughing ridiculous amounts about it last week, I just had to watch it. And it's so freaking funny. Love that's it. the look. That's the look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what's funny is last week I was like, got the look, got the look. But it's, it's, that's the look. That's the look. Yeah. The look of love. Yeah. The look of love. Oh my God. So funny. Love that so, movie. Yeah. I, I took your advice. I watched it. I chuckled. Uh, I probably didn't laugh as much as you, but I knew that I would laugh as we discussed it because, because uh, you, you liked it so much. So sure. Yeah. And good. then I've, I've also been binging Better Call Saul, and man, it's so good. It's such a good show. We talked about it last week, but I'm on season four. I'm almost done with it, and I'm just marinating in all the all the drama. So it's uh, it's a great show. I highly recommend. Yeah. The whole cast is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Love everyone on that show. Mm-hmm. 100%. One hundo. Percento. <laughs> Um, is that it? Is that? Oh, I've also been playing Call of Duty, and oh my god, all of our um, all of our chatter with uh, Pirate Talk the other day with the Pirates of the Caribbean podcast. Yeah, I um, I took it upon myself to start playing Assassin's Creed Black Flag because that's my favorite one out of the whole franchise, and I've been playing that game stupid amounts. On Sunday, I woke up at like eight in the morning. And I played that game until like midnight. <laughs> Holy buckets. <laughs> yeah, I was just plowing through it. And excuse me, I'm like barely even I'm barely halfway in the story, and my ship is just ready to just wreck the high seas, man. <laughs> I've just been spending my entire time upgrading my character and my ship. 
and now no one can touch me. I am I am like <laughs> freaking John Cena. You can't see me, and and I'm and it's so funny because you want to turn on the game. I'm like, it's time to play the game. I turn into freaking Triple H, and then and it's great. Um, I'm kicking ass, checking names, and, and then like when I'm about to do like a really sweet kill, I'm like, hey baby, check this out. And then I'll I'll murder someone, and then Alice will be like, Jesus, <laughs> and it's, it's great because that game's got some pretty sweet takedowns. <laughs> that that has been my week. I'm excited for Valhalla. Uh, that trailer looks incredible. I was uh, I was very very happy with it. I think it's going to be a fun game. It looks beautiful. So yeah, yeah, that's some them cinematic trailers, man. That's how they do. They always look lovely. Oh, tr- totally. But I mean, it still just amazes me. It still gets me gets me all excited. Sure. sure. Uh, let me figure. Black Flag came out. That was a launch title with a uh, PS4 and Xbox One, and mm-hmm. it still looks great seven years later. Nice. Seven years yeah. in Tibet. Ooh. Have you seen that? Yeah, I like that movie a lot. The Himalayas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. All right, so the film we're doing this week is The Boondock Saints from 1999, directed by one Troy Duffy. Also wrote the movie, too. Imagine that. And this guy has um, sort of a reputation of being a bit of a dick (laughs) and hard to work with. He's an interesting character. There's actually a documentary that was released about him called Overnight, and it's basically uh, showing how the movie was made and... Um, his overnight success. You know, he originally sold this movie to Miramax, who ultimately dumped it. Uh, they had given him a $15 million budget, and he became a rock star overnight. And then um, he was dubbed hard to work with, pain in the ass, and Miramax dropped him, and then he was ultimately blacklisted in Hollywood. And then finally, uh, I think it was like Franchise Films or some shit, decided to, to, to bankroll him and only gave him $6 million to make the movie quick little backstory that is a much a much uh, paraphrased version but that is what you need to know about troy duffy so uh obviously the the powers that be of miramax had a lot of clout you know those uh what do you call it the weinsteins they uh, they have a lot of pull in hollywood at least they did at the time and uh if if they tell you that this person is a piece and not to work with them that is like uh the good old "you'll never work in this town again" sort of thing, and uh, that certainly played true with uh, Mister Duffy. Didn't know that. Yeah, he's a character. I mean, that's one of those things. Like true or not, who knows? But the power perception is a is a big deal, and uh, had a had a direct impact on his uh, film career. Can I read you a quick trivia fact that's related to that then? And this makes way sure. more sense. Troy Duffy, sure. flew, Troy Duffy flew to New York City to meet Ewan McGregor and offer him one of the lead roles. At a night out, Duffy got drunk and him and Ewan McGregor got into an argument over the death penalty. And so McGregor passed on the movie. This led to Miramax Films putting the movie in turnaround. Mm. Yikes. Interesting. Makes sense now. I don't, know if, I, don't, I don't know if it was just that one altercation that ultimately led to that it might have been the straw that broke the camel's back right right i'm sure it was just fueled the fire so yeah like putting out fire with gasoline what that's a that's a song (laughs) (laughs) by that by that vampire looking motherfucker what (laughs) you know the guy from labyrinth china girls david bowie that's him Jesus. I tried to describe him as best I could without saying his name. You gotta pay. You don't like David Bowie? No, I do. I just didn't want to pay anything. Oh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the movie, The Boondock Saints, uh, this movie stars Willem Dafoe, Sean Patrick Flannery from, you know, Powder, that movie. It's amazing. And Norman Reedus. Uh, now famous for The Walking Dead, obviously, and carrying babies from that one game oh, where yeah. you carry babies. <laughs> What's that game called again? Death Stranding. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Strand <laughs> of <know>. hair. <laughs> You're like a mailman. It's basically a video game of of the postman with Kevin Costner. Isn't it like Walking Simulator? 
2020 yeah. <laughs> and you pack like 50 goddamn boxes and you try and carry it all at once because like you know when you're unpacking your car or you're bringing in groceries or you're taking out the garbage you grab as much shit as you possibly can i'm that way with laundry even though i know that there's 10,000 pieces of clothing i try and grab it all and then i'm just dropping it the entire way to the couch to fold it that's basically this game but with packages <laughs> Little Hansel and Gretel trail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With a little less candy there. <laughs> yeah. Billy Connolly's also in it. He was that little dwarf guy from Battle of the Five Armies. Battle of the Five... Oh, Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that movie. He's like a little man baby on a pig. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> weird looking. Couldn't get into it. <laughs> it's like, what am I looking at? Where do I know this guy from? <laughs> Anywho, Moondog Saints. It's like, it's like that movie is a ghost scene. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. So, critical reception. This movie now um, is not certified fresh. This is one of those interesting movies where uh, the critics have this at a whopping twenty-five percent. However, the audience score is ninety-one percent. That is, that is a. Quite the flip, as it were. I uh, can go through a couple of these. Most of them are pretty painful. Uh, let's see. Miles Fielder from The List. He says, The Boondock Saints has ended up as a cheap-looking B-movie that's pretentious, derivative, and sorely lacking a sense of fun. Yikes. Let's see here. Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Crazed says, an embarrassing waste of time and nothing even resembling the guiltiest of guilty pleasures. Yikes. Uh, Nick Shigler from Lessons of Darkness. Ooh, I dwell in darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I, do. I don't have a single light on the house right now. It's weird. The, the night is a very dark time for me. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so dark um he says you can like this one a dim-witted aesthetic aesthetically clunky tarantino clone wow uh yeah I'd say. so there's something to be said about that in the 90s post 1994 a post pulp fiction world so many studios were trying to make the next pulp fiction and there are a lot of movies that have uh pulp fiction in the uh, critique of them. There's so many critics that would say, oh, it's the next Pulp Fiction, or oh, it was trying to be like Pulp Fiction. And I don't think that's fair, and I think that that's lazy on the critic. But whatever. Um, Cole Smithy from colesmithy.com It's a great name. He says, train wreck! Exclamation point. He actually spells <laughs> out exclamation point. Did he even watch the movie? I don't, I don't think so. There's no trains. Oh, yeah, I guess there is. There's, there's a little train there. I saw it. There's a ride at the station on time, though. Uh, there might be a fun one here. Let me let me just see here. Um, Ed Travis from Hollywood Jesus. <laughs> That's great. Uh, the Boondock Saints, on one level, is a really great direct-to-video cult film. Stylish, defiantly earning or endearing, and even borderline iconic. I don't know about all that, but um, Rob Aldum from Backseat Mafia he says Duffy created an unapologetically bloody, brutal, and bizarre action film. And then I want to do one more Robert Rotten, all right, from uh, what is that? Laramie Movie Scope. Uh, Willem Dafoe portrays, or I'm sorry, Willem Dafoe's portrayal of the conflicted homosexual FBI agent is overacted to such an extent that it's hilarious, amazing, and entertaining. This is an unforgettable character. Yeah, he's uh, he is pretty unforgettable. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a homophobic. Yeah, which is really odd. Well, he's in a world that. Uh, that doesn't really like homosexuals. Right. He's pretty brutal. He even drops the F word. Mm-hmm. The Film Actors Guild. <laughs> well, let's see here. That's Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, anyway, so the, like I said, the movie had a budget of $6 million. Originally, it was going to be 15 That's uh, quite a cut there. Opening weekend, it uh, which wasn't very long. This was a very short-lived uh, cinematic experience. Uh, and that's mostly due, at least Troy Duffy blames the, um, the incident at Columbine. And uh, the movie got pulled. So it was just one of those things where here you had those kids that went in and got guns and, and murdered people that they felt deserved to be murdered. And then obviously they were 100% wrong, but then associating his, that movie and that content with it was enough to pull it from theaters. And so um, it was definitely short lived and uh world, the uh, worldwide gross is, is that exact same amount with basically it's like $30,000. What to do. I'm curious why he didn't try to push it later to a different time. Like, I mean, what was going through his head? Well, I'm sure there's different rules and contracts and no one wanted to touch it. Remember he's kind of at every, he's deemed a, a dick in Hollywood and no one really gives a shit about him. Um, but this is one of those movies that probably made a fortune on the um, home box office as it were, where it's uh, everyone's getting the home video. In fact, for me, uh, you know, this came out January 23rd here in the year 2000. And I saw it in October of 2000. And on on the regular Ray on DVD. Remember, I bought it at Best Buy on a Friday. I was working for Enterprise at the time, and I drove a guy uh, to his branch. And we were just talking about movies. I was in college at the time. I was a car prep, so I was just watching cars. But I had to take this guy back to his office. And he was just really into movies, and he started talking about it. He said, like, you ever heard of the Boondock Saints? I was like, no, I don't know what they were talking about. He's like, dude, check it out. And so um, I just went to the old... Uh, the old big buy and uh, saw it and bought it and watched it that night. And I actually really enjoyed it. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. You hmm. don't say. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple of fun little trivia facts. Um, so the tattoo that Connor and or has on his left hand says Veritas, which is Latin for truth. Murphy also has a tattoo in the same place, but on the right hand that says Equitas, which is Latin for justice slash equality. The word fuck and its derivatives are used a total of 246 times, which is insane. Uh, Mark Wahlberg turned down one of the lead roles in order to star in Boogie Nights. So, but that was in 97. Wow. So this movie is getting made for a while. Yeah, that's that's one thing. I think I think they actually started pre-production in 96. Wow. Yeah. Maybe they should have kept going or just, I don't know, scrapped it. Uh, and then uh, this one's a little, a little bit of a spoiler, but this makes sense. So in the sin bin, that, uh, kind of stripper room that Ron Jeremy gets killed in Connor says, I've been waiting for this one, referring to one of the two additional victims that Rocco shoots. Uh, the comment refers to an omitted scene in the emergency room where the man is a pimp that was beating a prostitute and Murphy holds Connor back from attacking the pimp. The other victim in the sin bin is a drug dealer from outside the sin bin. And that was another omitted scene. So that's interesting because I don't know why those were taken out. Uh, It didn't make any sense to me why Rocco would just kill those two for just, you know, looking at some porn. But that makes sense now. Totally. So, yeah. Um, Cool. Do you want to hear a synopsis that I wrote with my own my own fingers? Sure. Let's hear it. All right. For South Boston residents Connor and Murphy McManus, family, friends, and the Lord take priority. Their comfortable lives get mixed up during a St. Patrick's Day brawl with a set of Russian mobsters one day, and the scuffle ends up with the with the two shit <laughs> ends up with two dead mobsters in the end. FBI agent Paul Smecker begins to investigate <laughs> the murder alongside the Boston police. The, McMan- the McManus brothers turn themselves in only to be re- released as a result of self-defense. The brothers have an awakening, realizing that they must rid Boston of the criminal wrongdoers. The brothers go on a killing mission, taking out criminal after criminal along with their friend Rocco, an Italian mobster package man. As the sprees continue, Smeckler becomes more stressed out with the audacity that he has seen. Meanwhile, the Italian mob boss, Papa Joe, hires a, for, or a famed killer, Il Duce, to track down these unknown hitmen, stopping their slaughter. A gun battle ensues with injuries from both parties, but both are able to evade alive. After Smeckler gets hammered drunk, he goes to church to confess his sins. Rocco intercepts a priest and holds him at gunpoint in the confessional. Smeckler admits that he admires and envies what the brothers are doing because of the bureaucratic and ethical dilemmas he is constrained to. The brothers contact Smeckler the next day and inform him of the plan to take out Papa Joe. 
The brothers are ambushed while attempting to make a hit, and Rocco is killed by Papa Joe. Smeckler is able to sneak into the house disguised as a woman and eliminates several goons, but not before Papa Joe escapes. Il Duce shows up and completes the brothers' familial prayer. The brothers then realize that Il Duce is their estranged father, and together they form the saints. Bound by God to remove evildoers from the earth using swift vigilante justice. Three months pass and Papa Joe is on trial. The saints intercept the trial and make their appearance known to the world. They execute Papa Joe in front of an entire audience, dealing their brand of justice. Criminals must pay the price, but not by answering to the law. Instead, by answering to the saints. There you go. That's the movie. Brilliant. And that's the podcast. That's all we got to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> So you said you saw this in 2000 in October when you picked it up on DVD and you liked it a lot. How many times have you seen it since? Uh, probably more than 10. Damn, homie. So yeah. I imagine that you like it then. Yeah, I enjoy it. Interesting. I think, 10 it's, I times. think it's a fun romp. Yeah, I mean, um, there wasn't a movie in college that you just always had on play or whatever. Clue. I mean, it's not like it's not like I'm 100% sitting there eating popcorn and staring at my TV every time it's on. <laughs> it's it's on in the background. It's like background noise, but I know I really enjoyed it. And then also remember, this was a movie that people didn't get to see in theaters, and no one ever heard about it. So when it was one of those things where people came over, it's like, what's Boondock Saints? Oh man, you haven't seen it, dude? Check this shit out. Right, and you know, renting DVDs was such a pain in the ass. You had to go to Blockbuster. You had to, you know, um, I mean, I think Netflix. Netflix wasn't around in two thousand, was it? Not in um, 2000, 2002, definitely, because I remember yeah. I had Jimmy Neutron for a year. <laughs> Jesus. Didn't, didn't mail back. <laughs> boy, boy genius. <laughs> I was like, dude, this one is fucking sweet. So, yeah, and I had Netflix too, like three the three DVDs at a time program, that kind of stuff. So I think that's actually how I originally watched this. I, I didn't watch it until probably 2005, maybe. Uh, there was a, a kid in high school who he was on, he was on the football team with me. And someone asked him what his favorite movie was. And he said that was, and I like, it was like the cool thing to say. Cause all the older kids were saying it. And then I watched it. And I'm like, I don't get it. Why, why is this so cool? Cause they, they killed a bunch of people. And then I watched it last night for maybe the third time in my entire life. And I said, I don't get it. <laughs> why, why is this cool? <laughs> Cause they're just killing people. So sure. yeah. So I, that's, that's when I, I saw it. I've seen it maybe three times and I don't get it, Justin. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's it's a it's uh it's a foreign film. They're Irish, see. <laughs> <laughs> One day you'll look behind you and you'll see we three. <laughs> and on that day, you will reap it. We call it international film, all right. <laughs> it's foreign. <laughs> yeah, um I, I I didn't like this. I was so bored. I wanted it to end. Um, oh man, that's that's fascinating. Which is crazy to me because I'm the one that picked it but I think it's exactly why I wanted to pick it because I, I wanted to get your insight on it and, sure. and you know the listeners input on it uh, it's it's just such a polarizing film and I don't get it <laughs> um, the, the fade to blacks were really really annoying me I thought that those transitions were, were horrible and they were like high school level film student quality well so you got to remember that that troy duffy i almost said patrick duffy <laughs> troy duffy <laughs> patrick duffy. A, he wasn't a filmmaker man he he was a, a fucking rock star and a bouncer at a bar he mm-hmm. wasn't he wasn't uh trained to make movies so this was a new experience for him um and having said that and knowing that you know this is this is that movie where it's just hardcore violence. It's got some pretty funny things and it's pretty much like nothing I've ever seen before. And I really like how there'll be a crime scene and we have no idea what the fuck happened. And then we get these, these idiot detectives giving their theory and then we get Willem Dafoe's version of what happened. And then we ultimately get to see it. And I think that that's really fun because they're recreating crime scenes and we get to see it through what their perspective is and what they think is happening. And I think that's a lot of fun. So I think, I think that that, I mean, I, I slightly agree with you that those were fun, uh, but honestly, it's mostly because of Willem Dafoe. I thought he was, sure. he was spot on top notch, hilarious. I love when he was like, anybody want a coffee? Whatever his name is going to get some. You know? Yeah. Greenlee, which Greenlee, is funny yeah. that Greenlee, he's wrong the entire movie. And then at the very end, he's like, 
What about one guy and six guns? Yeah. <laughs> they look at him like he's such an asshole and he's finally right. I, I know. That. I like when he's like onion bagel, cream cheese. <laughs> like <it's, laughs> he was funny. Willem Dafoe is fantastic in this. I think he's so good. And he just does a great Willem Dafoe. Like, <laughs> you know, so uh, and I, I did like that transition. I think my favorite use of, of the um, kind of I don't know what you would really call that where you you don't show what happens and then you sure, it's, have, like it's just a non-linear non-linear story my favorite part of my favorite use of that is in no country for old men at the end when Llewellyn dies uh you don't see it happen you just kind of get ed tom's version of, of what happened and uh, I, I i think that that was good because they stuck with the exposition i i do agree that i i applaud the effort on that um but it just nothing nothing in this movie really worked for me I thought it was a, a ton of style. I'll give him that. Um, I hated the music choices. Like the techno music was really annoying to me and it didn't really fit. Uh, but I did like, I did like a, a lot of the shooting and, and all, all the magic. So sure. 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 Yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly partial to the music either. Um, it's kind of uh, obnoxious in a lot of times. Incredibly but... obnoxious. <laughs> but uh i never really let that deter i think when i first saw the movie uh, i was sort of an angry rock star justin and so it uh <laughs> it kind of worked wanna go for a ride yeah you know you know the type the kind that leaves like you know you order buffalo wings and just leave your fucking graveyard on the table for someone to just take it away you're not gonna touch it <laughs> that kind of rock star. Jeez. Yeah, it's um it's just it's so weird because the whole time I was watching this, I was like, what is what's the message or what's the point that he's trying to get at? And and like what do you think is his message or point of this movie? Um well so the reason why he so I, I can probably explain what he might he might have been thinking. Uh the reason why he even wrote this movie was when he was working at the bar. Uh, he was leaving for the night and he saw two people stealing, like pickpocketing from a dead uh, child on the ground in the alley. And uh, like you know, a kid, you know, under 18. And um, he was so disgusted that he went home and wrote a movie about two brothers that took justice into their own hands because he was so sick of this ugly world. So that was his inspiration. So I think he wanted to show you these horrible people and then ask the question, is it okay for people to, to put, you know, the law in their own hands and, you know, it's, it's right or wrong. It's, it's up to you. And even at the very end, the sort of that interview that's happening, the, the people are divided. You know, some people think the saints are a great idea and good for the, the country and other people think it's terrible. And who are they to judge these people? And I, th- I think that that's, probably where we would be today where we would be you know so uh divisive that half the people would like them and half people would just like right now half the people on this podcast like this movie and the other half don't (laughs) (laughs) do you think that that was scripted at the end i don't know i mean probably i don't know how it's not like he showed them the movie and said hey tell me about it i mean i i feel like it was scripted but i yeah it has to be but I think that you're going to get a, a polarizing um, effect on, on on that with like the death penalty. Uh, sure. It's it's a, it's a hot button issue. Um, I don't really ever like talking about it because my opinions are my opinions for that. And it's just going to cause discussion and it's not healthy discussion. So I, I rather I would rather not really talk about that one. But yeah, it's um, I, I think that's at the end that really hit it on the nose. So I, w- I will give him credit that I kind of gathered at the end, but the entire film, I felt like it was just glory or glorifying these two brothers who are just on a killing spree. And I don't know if, if I saw the need for it, I don't, it, it, I, I liked both Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery. I thought that they were actually really good, but I didn't, I didn't I didn't feel like they were justified in, in, in anything that they were doing. It just kind of, you know, the plot was so paper thin um, and I, I like the action. But honestly, it was it was pretty adequate. 
Um, the cinematography was incredibly pedestrian and, and that makes sense, you know, cause it's his, his, his first, his first movie or whatever, but shit, I can shoot a better phone or better uh, movie on my iPhone. So, uh, well, that's a, that's the difference too, is, um, your iPhone is shooting in high quality HD, whereas he's shooting on film, but I still know uh, how to use transitions and I still know how to, how to block scenes and how to do things differently. Yeah. I mean, um, you would... think you do, but true. I mean, true. let's true. see true. you make a movie. <laughs> Oh, I, I make movies every night. I'm um, sure you do. So the pacing was just kind of like all over the place for me. So that's uh, that's kind of what, what it came down to. I get I get the message at the end. I just feel like it really fell flat for me. Okay, I'm I'm not gonna argue. You were uh, you were elaborating how poorly this did in the in the box office. Um, you know, th- this is well, yeah, definitely. I mean, it got it got a day or so sure. in the in the box office. It actually was re released. There was a in two thousand. I want to say six. I uh, I went to a special screening for it. It was like a one night only kind of thing, and uh, it began with a quick little video with um, Mr. Troy Duffy introducing the film and uh, talking about what he's working on now and just appreciating the audience that has grown over the years. And uh, he hoped that we enjoyed our time at the cinema and seeing it where it was meant to be seen. This movie to me is like, and I was saying this earlier, it's like tomato juice. I, I cannot stand tomato juice. I will try it once every couple of years just to see if my taste buds have changed. Uh, I'm nope. I cannot stand it because bloody Mary's always look delicious and people love bloody Mary's but I cannot stand bloody Mary's. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, uh, I don't know, man, this is my tomato juice movie. <laughs> sure. Um, and I, also, I think I also like the brothers a lot and I like their relationship. I, I like that. They're not just thugs, that they're actually really intelligent. They speak multiple languages. Um, they have, they have a lot of ideas. They're they're uh, Aside from killing these bad guys before that happened, they were good people. They were good to the community. Um, they still look at themselves as protecting their community. Uh, I do believe that the the beginning of the movie is very much the end where the community knows who they are. Um, you know, that little girl's looking at them like, oh, is that them? Is that the guys? Is that the saints? And the mom's like, hey, don't look at them. And then, you know, they go up and then they do their little thing during mass. And the one, um, the guest speaker is like, who the hell are these guys? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, that I do think that that is really the end of the movie. Yeah, that could be. I, I could see that now. Uh, it's. I totally lost my train of thought on that one. It'll come back. Um, Chaz Michael Michaels is figure skating. <laughs> Maxim 2002. <Boom. laughs> that just happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really did like how intelligent they were. And I liked uh, their camaraderie. Like I was saying, both both Redis and uh, Flannery were, were great. And I really wish we could have seen more into that. And I really wish that we could have maybe gotten bought into Papa Joe and how evil he was or how evil these criminals were. Cause to me, if you just watched it, like how I watched it, I was like, they're just killing these random people. How do they know they're, they're horrible, awful people. So it's, um, I didn't really get anything out of it. Well, I that. think they were going to kill him because they tried to kill his friend. Um, remember they didn't really care about, um, Rocco's mafia family until after they set him up to die. Right. Yeah. They were no, after that... the they were after the Russian mob who was trying to kick out their favorite bar, uh, the owner of their favorite bar, and was having an impact on their community, and then tried to kill them. You know, it was just a bar fight that escalated, and then it turned into something else. And then once once their actions were discovered, and Rocco came in, then they realized that hey they're his own people want to kill him and then that's when they decided to go after uh papa joe hmm. he, he, they, he, they didn't have a plan remember they, that's why he said we're sort of like 7-eleven you know we're always open but um you know we're not always doing business not always doing business yeah no i like i like that analogy too they drank a lot of beer and a lot of whiskey during that scene and ate a whole pizza but uh so this is definitely a cult classic and uh, cult classics are are known for their dedicated, passionate fan base, uh, an elaborate subculture that engages in or that engages you in repeated viewings, uh, lots of quoted dialogue and tons of audience participation. Why has this film? I mean, I guess we've kind of talked about this, but why has this been bona fide as a cult classic? Just because of of uh, how many people? It's like an underground movie, kind of. Do you think? Yeah, that's very much why? so. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a, we could say it was a straight to video because it, you know, a couple of hours in a movie theater doesn't really count. And, um, you know, it, it took some serious word of mouth. And in, in sort of a pre social media world, word got around that you have to see this movie. You know, that's, that's a big deal. There was AOL Instant Messenger, all right. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but that's 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 a pretty powerful thing. That that is literally word of mouth spreading, and I think that that's fantastic, and that's a very powerful thing. People forget about that. Mm-hmm. Why are cult classics so important to cinema? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I think back to what we were talking about last week with like the preservation of art, and and you know, art is so subjective that what might not be a hit on paper um, is is different than what it is in real life. Yeah, that's true. Real quick, uh, I pulled up an article from 2014 from Rolling Stone. It's uh, that little chestnut of a magazine. And it's the top uh, 25 um, cult classic films. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to go 10 through 1. So you got Donnie Darko at 10, Phantom of the Paradise, no idea, The Evil Dead, Pink Floyd, The Wall, uh, Harold and Maude at six. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> you know, I've actually never seen it, but I know what it's about. So uh, number five is A Clockwork Orange. That movie took me about three or four days to watch because I would watch it in pieces because it was so heavy. But oh. uh, number four, Pulp Fiction. Number three, This is Spinal Tap. Number two, The Big Lebowski. And number one, can you take a guess? Number one, Colt. Boondock Saints. No, The Rocky Horror Picture Dread. Show. Oh. The, rock, the, rock, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's fair. Dread. So if this movie could have done what Dread have done, what Dread did for me, I mean, that would have been amazing because I actually really liked Dread a lot. I thought that that was awesome. And I'm really sad that not not that many people saw that. So I think it's interesting that he has that this list has Pulp Fiction as a cult classic, considering it, you know, won Academy Awards and uh, you know, there's so such a big to do. I mean, I realize in, in theaters, I suppose it was a bit of a sleeper hit, but um, it quickly rose to fame versus having like an honest to goodness underground cult following. Yeah. Like the Big Lebowski wasn't it, critics did not like it when it came out. And it was oh, just a, a following of people after that. I fucking love that movie. I saw it on March 6th, 1998. I had just graduated from high school. I graduated early to go take care of my grandmother. And March 6th was my last day of school. And I celebrated with a double feature with the Big Lebowski first and then fucking U.S. Marshall second. <laughs> I know, right? What a combo. <laughs> I feel like I've heard that story like 10 times and I love it. <laughs> oh, just saying, Big Lebowski. It's a, it's a great combo. I love the Big Lebowski. It's so good. Way better than this movie. Um, so uh, we were talking about the brothers earlier. I think that they're continuously trying to do the the right thing or what they think is the right thing they're so busy you know removing these evil people from the world and while i'm not advocating killing as justifiable by any means uh, it does raise an interesting ethical quandary are the mcmanus brothers maybe right in their actions and you can you can tiptoe around this or you can say no comment or whatever but Let's say that these mobsters were killing kids and just the worst scum of scum of the earth. Do you think that the McManus brothers in this fictional world were justified? Um, so my my stance is always that killing is wrong. I, I, I cannot harm another human being. So for me, killing is wrong. Right. But I'm, I'm a nice guy. I mean, I, I realized that in this ugly, gross world, um, and these are terrible people. Um, it for me, killing is wrong. And if I were to kill them, or if I were to be excited that someone was killing them, then I would feel just as dirty as the people that were doing the killing originally. They're coming after you, man. The saints. They're they're gonna come marching in. So, no way, dude. I got I got Deputy Marshal Samuel Gerard on on my side. <laughs> Go get him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Paul Smecker, uh, Willem Dafoe, his confession scene, I think that kind of summed it up for me too. He, you know, he's like, I put, I put evil men behind bars, but the law has miles of red tape and loopholes for these cocksuckers to slip through. He, he definitely, and I'm not a police officer. I've never worked for the FBI that I know of. And 
I think there's injustice throughout the world. And I think that we've all had times where we've been really upset with somebody. Um, and I think Duffy's pulling from his voice or he's kind of vicariously living through him and saying what he needs to do. He's his mouthpiece, but he he's trying to find a way to justify it. And let's just say these are the worst people in the world. So maybe, maybe Duffy thinks that it's okay. Um, sure. But yeah. I feel like we had a conversation on a couple of shows ago. Uh, I think it might've been when we were watching like Gilmore girls or whatever that show was with the strippers. Hustlers. Hustlers. <laughs> that was close. And um, we were way where, we, where we were talking about when you do something wrong, you try and justify it to make it right. Mm-hmm. And him having him being a non-religious person to go have an ethical conversation with a priest to try and find a way to justify that this is the right thing to do. I think there's a lot of red flags there. I was just gonna say maybe deep down he knows it's it is wrong. <laughs> yeah. So and and this is probably just because I've been binging Better Call Saul, but I, I this I thought a lot about Better Call Saul in this. You know, obviously it's not it's not equal with the killing and stuff, but he Saul Jimmy he always thinks that the end justifies the means no matter what, but his actions have consequences, and I think that that is he's tied down by the bureaucratic red tape just like Smecker. So I see a lot of that. Um, and, and there's been several times in, in BCS when I'm like, you know what? I agree with Jimmy. I think that he was right in this, but then I can totally see it from the other side. So, I mean, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say I, I couldn't see where Smecker's coming from. Um, I don't agree with it. I'm on the same line of your thinking, but I get where Smecker's coming from for sure. And like for, for the sake of the end of the film, when they're at the, uh, the courthouse, you know, there's there's police officers that let that drive the saints to the courthouse. They unlock the doors. They get them through the metal detectors, and they hit the fire alarm. They they are 100 percent involved and accomplices in that whole murder that takes place in the courthouse. But on top of that, we have to consider the whole the whole how do my actions affect others? Like you're just saying, and there was a woman that was trying to turn her head and. The dad, El Duce, he's like, no, you got to look, man. And what kind of trauma is that going to have on these people watching someone get shot by three guns, two pistolas and a shotgun in the back of the head? That's disgusting. It's awful. It's traumatizing. And those people can be damaged. Yeah, they're not getting injured, but that does not mean that they are not uh, walking away damaged. And that is upsetting. Oh, I totally agree. That's that whole courtroom scene was making me really mad. I was I was very furious with that scene. Uh, you, you know, what? a movie that kind of um, they a lot of movies, you know, they don't really care about those secondary victims, but a movie that they kind of explored uh, with one of the victims was the town. I thought they did a really good job of making Rebecca Black's character, uh, you know, suffer from trauma. She didn't get hurt or anything, but she was kidnapped. She was part of this robbery and Ben Affleck kind of consoled her, right? Because she was just dealing with all this stuff. I think they did a really good job of portraying that because I, I agree with you. That poor woman was like, I don't want to see this. And uh, Extra Grande or whatever his name is was like, hey, yeah, you can, <laughs> you can, you need to watch us, honey. And I'm like, dude. Venti. <laughs> yeah, Venti Chai. But uh, like, I, you know, I, I think like we were talking earlier about the end credits, I think that that uh, the interviews were were actually pretty good even though I think they were scripted, I believe that nowadays, I mean, we're still 20 years later, we're still in the same thought process and still having those same types of discussions. And maybe Duffy was trying to use this movie as a, as a talking point. Did you ever see black Klansman? No, I never did. Okay. So that movie's awesome. And Spike Lee really just like knocks it out of the park, but the ending, I won't spoil it. Uh, but the ending has it just puts everything into perspective and it's very very topical to the u.s like currently and for the past five years and it's just a massive punch to the face um if duffy could have done what spike jones did that or spike lee did that would have been amazing and uh, i mean he i see where he was going with it so i will give him credit for that but uh yeah definitely check out black Klansman. it is fantastic yeah I, I think that the major consensus for this film, like we've been saying, is is you either love it or you absolutely dislike it. I, I don't know if I've met anybody who's who's been like, yeah, you know, it's OK for me. It's a, it's a five out of ten. 
because I'm like at a negative three out of ten. But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's what I love because, like, honestly, I if someone if I were to make a movie and someone thought it was okay, I'd be pissed. I'd rather they either love it or hate it. Yeah. So why do you think this is though? Like, why 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 is this movie? Do you think it's because everything we were just talking about, like with the with the the death penalty stuff and um, corporal punishment and, and whatnot? Sure. I mean, and then just just the style that it's actually made, um, you know, the acting isn't always amazing. But um, I for me, I there's a small piece of me that just loves like dirty, gritty movies. Um, I think it's it's very reminiscent of like my time making films in college and stuff and and just getting away with with things <laughs> especially when they're getting shot and like the squibs going off and like all the blood shooting everywhere yeah. i was like oh <laughs> shit dude I, I had to wear one of those a couple times <laughs> and i don't know there's something about that that just really speaks to me but i i always love like just dirty b-budget uh action movies I, I don't know what it is like like how that one person that one critic said it's like the uh talking about guiltiest of guilty pleasures and for me it's movies like this. Um, I can watch them in a hotel room. I can watch them at two in the morning when nothing's on. And and I just get a little bit of joy from it. So uh, for me, it was a combination of uh, Rocco. I loved his character. I loved um, the two brothers. And I absolutely adored Willem Dafoe in this movie. I thought he was so funny and just so crazy, so over the top. And I think that that's just what this movie needed to show, that it is absurd and I think he just kind of adds to that. Um, so you don't take it too seriously. But I think because of the heavy subject matter with the killing, that it is taken seriously. Hmm. Interesting. And then the sequel was actually god awful. So as someone that, I heard. Um, that really enjoys this movie uh, and have seen it so many times, I, I saw the second one once and, and hated it. And I couldn't wait for it to be over. Yeah. Uh, you know, Donnie Darko is definitely a cult classic movie. Uh, and I heard that the um, second, the sequel to that was really bad too. So, you know, I don't even, I'm not even a fan of Donnie Darko. Neither um, am I. I've seen it. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not like blown away by it, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can appreciate that people enjoy it and that's a good thing, I suppose. But I just, I couldn't get into it. It was never my cup of tea. I, I will watch Bubble Boy any day of the week. I fucking <laughs> love that movie. That movie is so funny. But I can't stand Donnie Darko. It has that new Radical song in it. You only get what you give. <laughs> Don't <laughs> give up. Read that one. Yeah. You got the music movie. in you. Yeah, you got the music in you. Oh, my God. With the bright and shiny about those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and, uh, fucking, uh, what's his name, Fabio? He is the, the cult leader. And he's like, uh, you know, non-believers will burn an eternal hellfire on planet PX-41. Or PX42 if they run out of room. <laughs> I can love that. Holy shit. So, I mean, that that's a perfect guilty pleasure movie for me. I fucking love Bubble Boy. but uh, and, and, and probably fewer people have seen that than Donnie Darko. So, as far as I'm concerned, that's even more of a cult classic. <laughs> it's a Cavender cult classic. It's a triple C. Go. Triple C. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean... I, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, for all those things that you said, it's just that's 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 why it's so divisive. But but so for me, I, I think it's it's pretty apparent. This movie is just so much more style over substance. It fell completely flat for me and I got no joy from watching it other than Willem Dafoe. Like, seriously, <laughs> I got no joy derived from this film other than watching Willem Dafoe because I thought he was so great. Uh, I, I mean, and I, like, I like the brothers, like I was saying. But again, I was just uh, and I understand what Troy Duffy may have been possibly trying to do. But in my opinion, I think he failed. This type of movie could work with a Tarantino or a Robert Rodriguez. And I know that may not necessarily be <laughs> fair, but Duffy just had no cinematic chops. And and who am I? Neither do I. But I can make a better movie. <laughs> I don't know. Shit. Uh, the goddamn fade outs were, were frustrating me. I did. I just couldn't stand them. The music choices were poor. It's you know it's a bummer because I really liked Redis and, and Flannery, um, and I liked what they kind of went on to do. The only other thing I remember Flannery from was uh, I never saw Powder, but I know he was in Powder, and uh, he was in a season of uh, Dexter. He played the private investigator who like hung out with Deb. 
So unfortunately, yeah, this movie just felt like a waste of time and I in which I couldn't care less about any of the characters as their morals and ethics were all over the place. Um, it, 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 it was really hard to follow at times, too, with all of their religious justifications, quote unquote, for for killing um, mixed with everything that Smeckler was saying. So I did think it was weird. Um, I've always one thing I've always had a problem with is the coins on the eyes for the boatman. Um, they're literally going to kill these people because they're terrible. But once they're dead, they show great care. Like they're careful when they hold their head. They they give them their little prayer, their last rites, and then they give them the coins for the boatman. I think that that's fascinating that they give enough shits to be able to do that for them. I never understood that. It's like having your cake and eating it too. Yeah, I, I agree. I ate two, I, I ate two cakes. Ooh, hostess cakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and like I was saying earlier too, if, if there were more screen time to focus on on Papa Joe, um, because I guess you know he te- he technically was the the main enemy, um, <laughs> and why he was just so evil, then I would have felt a little bit better about what the McManus brothers were were doing, kind of. But I don't know, it just wasn't done. And I I cannot understand, Justin, on, on God's green earth, why people love this movie. I know we've been talking about it for the past hour, but I still don't get it. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I, I know that a 20-year-old Justin uh, went home or went to Best Buy, bought the movie, went home and watched it, and it was just blown away. I was like, oh, my God, I fucking love this movie. I got to show my friends. I got I to gotta round up all my friends. And then we watched it again. Um, it was just something about how, how different it was. Like I hadn't really seen anything like it before, which I think is another reason why I think it's unfair to call it some sort of Tarantino clone just because it's different. Doesn't mean that it is a clone of something, uh, that it's the only thing that's similar is that, you know, there is this sort of non linear story technique that is used, but it's not done. Like, you know, we see, um, you know, it's broken up in a way that doesn't make sense. In this case, it's it makes a little bit more sense because it's recreating crime scenes versus getting the middle of the story, then the beginning of the story, then the end of the story. That's that's Tarantino for you. But like, I think this was completely different. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, the president. <laughs> oh, oh, we can go with my theory. The ugliest <laughs> one did. <laughs> And that means you, Joe Gage. <laughs> I fucking knew it. Oh, it's so great. See, that was a movie, too, that when I saw The Hateful Eight, I, I loved it, but a lot of people didn't like it. They were like, The Hateful Talk. And I'm like, dude, I, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. It's not my favorite Tarantino film, but I, I really liked it. So, and that, that grew, it grew over time with me, too. But yeah, I, I've seen that one a lot. I have that one because it's so long. And like while I'm working, it's good to just kind of have in the background just to kind of give me a frame of reference of time, uh, like almost like a time check movie. And yeah. so I have that I have that movie on a lot, um, which is weird because it, like like you, it's not my favorite Tarantino movie, but I definitely enjoy it. And um, I think there's something to be said about that, too, because like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I've, I've seen that twice. And every time I think about it, just the biggest smile falls on my face. And I just fucking laugh and laugh and laugh. Dirty hippies. I think it's so funny. Like, I just think about DiCaprio's, like, meltdown in his trailer. And I'm just like, holy shit, dude. We've all had a meltdown like that at some point where we have just, we have realized that we are the most undisciplined fuck on the planet. And we just need to change what we're doing because it's not working. And then immediately just fall right back into what we were just doing. And just being angry about it <laughs> and i think that that is so great and so spot on so relatable and uh, i think that's one of the the biggest keys to enjoying a movie is finding a way to to relate to it in some way and it doesn't have to be something that you relate to in in the now it could be because of something you did when you were a kid or whatever something that just sort of triggers that chemical effect in your brain to where you just start enjoying things and um and for me, what's interesting about Boondock Saints is there's this definitely this power of nostalgia. And, and even when I watched it for the first time, I started thinking about all these weird movies that I had seen in the middle of the night, like The Getaway. That's another one that I saw in the middle of the night with Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw. And and it's like a total hardcore, like uh, shoot 'em up on the run kind of movie. And I saw I had no idea what the fuck I was watching. It was it was 
it was like uh, literally two in the morning and I was 16 years old. I was turning on the TV and I came at the halfway point. I'm like, what the hell am I watching? But I was glued to my TV and then I was able to figure out what it was uh, thanks to the miracle of TV guide. And um, <laughs> I went on and rewatched it from the beginning and I, I freaking loved it. But when I was watching Boondock Saints, I immediately started thinking about all those times where I just caught a movie that was so weird and so off the wall that it was just something special about uh, it's just me in this movie. There's no one else around. It's just me in this movie, and I get to soak it all in and enjoy it. And it's and it's for me. It's for no one else. You know, like when you go to the theater, it's an experience because you're sharing it with all the people in the theater. But isn't it kind of cool when you walk into a theater and you're the only fucker in there? And you're just like, holy shit, dude, this is my theater right now. And you tend to enjoy those, at least for me, I enjoy those movies a little bit more when it's just me in the theater. I think that's so fucking cool. Or maybe there's one other rando that that has to sit on that one aisle seat that's like the third row up or something. There's always that peculiar person. And shout out to you if you're one of those. But um, <laughs> I just always find that funny. And then maybe even after the end of the movie, you're just like, hey, man, did you like that movie? And they're like, yeah, it was pretty fucking good. And that's probably because they had no distractions. They weren't worried about what was going on around them. It was just them and that movie. And for me, it was that was definitely the case for Boondock Saints. I always sit right next to the person who's in there. If I want to see <laughs> yeah, that asshole. No. Uh, Shaking yeah. your popcorn bag. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the one that comes to mind, because I've seen a lot of movies in theaters by myself, just without pretty much anybody in there. The one that comes to mind is The Disaster Artist, uh, that Tommy Wiseau movie with James Franco right. and Dave Franco. And I, I love that movie, but I do remember I had the entire theater to myself and it felt so great. Uh, you know, aside from that being a good movie, I think it amplified it to everything that you're saying. Totally. So, and nostalgia, that's why it's nostalgia so huge. Like, that's why Star Wars is like, hey, remember this guy? Remember this person? Yeah. Remember the, total, remember the, the member berries. Yeah, <laughs> remember the Millennium Falcon? And oh, wow. I mean, because people have that feeling again. I mean, it, I don't even want to get started on Star Wars because, yeah. But um, I, like, I, I get what you're saying with it. I, I think I, I was definitely thinking about high school when I watched this movie. And it was uh, it was not good. So <laughs> just kidding. anyways, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's all I really have to say real quick, though. I did ask a couple of my friends on Twitter what they thought about Boondock Saints. I said, is it is is Boondock Saints good movie? Question mark. And my buddy Josh was like, you know, it's a good, good combination of comedy, punching it to the evil powers and just being an overall fun film to watch. I first saw it in my early teens and it ended up being a movie I'd watch regularly with my guy friends. I love Norman Reedus's character and especially Willem Dafoe's. I like the twist of Billy Connolly ending up being the brother's dad and uh, Della Rocco's uh, Rocco's character is hilarious. He does. He's, he's pretty funny. He uses variations of fun quite a bit. <laughs> funny, so. funny, yeah, funny. He, he's the funny guy. Oh, yeah. I'm the funny man. <laughs> the funny man. body's genius. What are we going to do with the other three? Laugh him to death. <laughs> oh, I love That's that. true. Uh, Joe Durfee is like one of my favorites. And then our bud Rob, our buddy Rob said, I saw it once when I was about 16 and hated it. 19 years later, I've never any desire to revisit it. Poor Rob. He'll watch it again, though. <laughs> yeah. So... Anyhow, man, that's all I have on this, unless you have anything else. Uh, not in this movie, but I would like to say that uh, we are about to record episode 300 of the Geek Legacy podcast. And I am incredibly proud of that milestone and a little sad that it took us this long to get there, but it's happening and I'm pretty pumped. So if you could please uh, subscribe to the Geek Legacy podcast and I hope you have a wonderful time. Are you going to do some sort of like kicking Dave into a pit and say, this is Sparta? You know what? 300? I don't even, I don't think we even realized that it was episode 300 until the other day when I was editing episode 299. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Episode 299? Like we're a, we're a week away from episode 300. Who knew? And uh, <laughs> I wish we had something a little bit more special planned, but uh, I think we're going to have a really good time. I, I came up with the fun Stargate game that uh, on this last episode, and it ended up getting really weird and really dark. <laughs> but I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to listen. I am yet to listen. I've been so busy with a shitload of different shit. So, but yeah, love, love, uh, love, love, love your show. So cool. Thank you. Yeah, man. Can I take, can I take you home tonight? Yes, you can. All right. Get out of my dreams and into my car. So thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to also listen to the Geek Legacy podcast for episode number Trescientos. That's 300 in Espanol. Remember to follow us on the Twitter there at DBCrazyPod. 
at Edgy Armo and at Zach Dale 60. Zach has an H in it, not a K, and it's not Zachary Darnell, it's Zachary Dale. <laughs> Zachary Darnell Food Court. <laughs> uh, where you can share your thoughts with us, like I just read on the Twitter, and we'll discuss them on our show. My birthday is next week, so if you want to say happy birthday to me, send me a little little sexy video of you. I'll take it. So yeah. whoa. <laughs> you know, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch next. Uh, this is Justin's turn to pick. And he's probably gonna pick something garbage, uh, like he always does. But you know, it's probably a Kurt Russell movie. I don't or think so. <laughs> I've been really good about picking movies. Yeah. You like to pick movies you hate, and then uh, it, it, it's good for the gander. As I want, I want you to change my mind. Well, I really did want to like this movie, and I was, I tried to put aside anything, any negative thoughts I had about it, and I really, really tried it. But like, you know, when you try food and you plug your nose to not taste it, I used to do that with tomato juice, and I could still taste it. So, <laughs> this movie is my tomato juice. You know. Right. Anyways, just remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh-huh. Trademark. <laughs>